0: Hi, and welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I'm your host, Jen Milius, and I'm so glad that you're here and can't wait to introduce to you Ryan Dalton. Ryan Dalton spends his time thinking up stories when he's not wearing a cape and fighting crime. He's a singer, a voiceover artist, a pretty decent amateur chef, and a lover of all things geek. Ryan lives in an invisible spaceship that currently is hovering St. Louis, Missouri. Let's dive into the pond and meet Ryan. Welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I am so excited to bring to you Ryan Dalton. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I would love for you to start with. How did you get into writing?
1: Oh boy. Well, I I was a book nerd ever since I could I could hold them, <laughs> and uh, um, <laughs> just you know always love to read. I um, the, the the family stories that I actually taught myself to read at four. Um, and just it was always surrounded by, by books. My my parents were great about I guess seeing that I loved it, and um, and made sure that I always had had plenty to read. Um, and then at some point, I just it just kind of dawned on me that actual people write these books. And uh, and so as soon as I heard that actual people write books, I, I knew that's what I was going to do. Um, you know, I'm probably six or seven at that point, and. I remember announcing to family that I was going to write a book and they kind of chuckled. And I remember at that age wondering like why they were chuckling, because I I meant it. (laughs) I I was going to do it. Um, It, you know, it took me till adulthood to actually do it. But, um, you know, I've just always loved books since since I was uh, a a tiny kid and just wanted to be around them. And uh, I've always loved being creative. I always, you know, was kind of a storyteller just in how I played as a kid. So it really just translated naturally into uh, when I was an adult, realizing, "Hey, you know what? If I really go at this, I could probably turn this into a career." Um, and then I was off and running when I realized I could do it.
0: I love that. I love that so much. So, talk about writing your first book. Then, what was that like? What was that? What was that like? What was the process, so forth?
1: Yeah. So um, it was right around my my mid twenties, or just a little bit later. I was you know, working a, you know, just a full-time kind of corporate job and had that career and it was never satisfying. Um, and that's when I, I started to think, okay, what else can I do that, what else am I good at that I could turn into something? And that's when I started thinking, well, you know, I've always written as a hobby. Why don't I just take it seriously? And so I spent the next year or two really just practicing, writing lots of short stories. I wrote everything I could. I mean, I even told... Um, friends, like if they were selling something like online, I'd say, Hey, let me write your Craigslist ad. And I would write these wacky, crazy Craigslist ads. Um, One of which, which actually got me freelance work with an advertising agency. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I ended up um, for my brother putting an ad for a couple of uh, computers on Craigslist and I just made it crazy and silly and weird. And uh, it ended up being a, um, a, uh, a marketing company bought the computers and then when i went over to deliver them they said that well the the owner of the of the this little boutique agency said uh do you like do you write ads for a living because you should <laughs> <laughs> um so i ended up doing freelance work for them and writing ad copy for like uh resorts and, and other things that ended, ended up being online and in magazines and things um and so as I was getting more confident with that, finally, I hit the point where I said, okay, I think I've practiced enough that I'm ready to try my first book. Um, and that's when I went to uh, the notebook of my ideas. Um, Cause I'd always still r- jotted down ideas. And I still to this day, um, you know, a, an, an idea will strike me and I'll take a little bit of time to write it down so I can come back to it later. Um, so I started combing through those, I had probably 20 or 30 ideas, um, and I thought, okay, I want one that's going to be, seem like what's my most unique, what to me is the most interesting uh, idea and something that could be a challenge. Um, and I ended up going with this idea um, of this, this scene in a book that I, I had gotten in my head that I thought that sounds, I would love to explore that. Um, and the scene was, you know, a teen boy and girl, uh, twins, or just walking down a street And they come to a house with no doors, uh, only windows. So there doesn't seem to be any way in or out. But then when they look up at the window, there's a person in the window glaring down at them. And that kind of gave me chills. I was like, oh, man. But I started asking questions like, "What? Okay, what's with this house? (laughs) And what's with the person inside? And what are they doing and why? And I started asking these questions. And as I answered them, it's... Just became this this idea that that involved mystery and travel and lightning storms and you know people made of shadows and things and so um, uh, yeah I, it took two years to to write that first one because I was also just learning how to write a novel um, and uh, it took another couple of years to polish and sell and it ended up becoming this one behind me the year of lightning and then the two sequels that came afterwards. Uh, So yeah, that was my first uh, foray into novel publishing.
0: Okay. So you have said a few things I would love to touch on. (laughs) One of which is the fact that you talked about really the writing started through a whole different way of writing because Mm -hmm. essentially marketing writing is something you might see even in a proposal where you are, you're writing about your work differently. You're writing. It's not just about your creativity. It's a different way of using language. It's selling essentially. So I love that you were using that first because it makes it a bit more comfortable to showcase your work because so many times I hear people talk about how sometimes they can write the book, but then it's like, oh, you want me to talk about it (laughs) or you want me to (laughs) to share it? Yes. Yeah, I really do. So I love that you started with that. What did that feel like to go from that kind of writing though, to writing a novel?
1: Well, it was interesting. I, I can chart back at some of the seeds that were planted that grew into how I write books now. Um, for one, uh, I, I was, it was actually very gratifying because I, I had no idea how to write ad copy. But when they would say, "Hey, we need this this word count, describing this in this manner," can you do that? And I would say, "Yeah, sure." And then I would go Google all the terms they use because <laughs> I knew I could write it. I just had to learn like their what they actually wanted. Uh, so I was learning their, like their terminology so, so I could know, okay, this is the kind of ad they want. Um, and yeah, when, when you're doing that, it, it's like the, the success of it is that they actually, they buy it and they use it and you see it somewhere. So I had taglines that I, I came up with that they wanted to, that they put on billboards. I had one piece of copy that they put in Phoenix Magazine because I was in Phoenix at the time. Um, and so right away, the goal with the stuff that I, I was doing was to, you know, get it used. Um, in fact, it's funny years later, I went uh, to the website of a resort there in town and the whole time I'm reading through the website, I thought, man, this, why does this seem familiar? And I realized it's because I wrote all the copy that was on the website.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. um,
1: but it was very gratifying because I, because I didn't know the advertising world just made up my own process for how to create these ads and give them the vibe that they needed to have. And then in looking later on at um, like shows I had watched and other things about advertisers, I had unwittingly mimicked what the pro advertisers do. Um, So that was like, Oh, Hey, I guessed. And I, I (laughs) happened to get it right. Um, But then I also, you would do stuff like, um, well, for instance, that one resort that I wrote for was a very, it was a very swanky sixties vibe because it was an old resort that they had revitalized. So I would sit at my computer and I would blast like James Bond music and things, anything that had that kind of swing 60s feel to it. And that's how the feel that I would channel. And to this day, I still like the development of a soundtrack for a book or a story is very key to my early process. So it's one of those little things I found worked early on in not writing books that has translated well to writing books.
0: I love that so much as somebody who studied music I really love that you leverage music to help create that ambiance that oh, yeah. shows up in your work that's so fa- that's fantastic and I also love that you have a gift that you realized early on but found a different way to navigate into it and to use it and that it was a natural extension that you that you were being you and showing up with your style in your way but yet it was doing the very thing that maybe could have been formulaic for someone else but not for you it was just how you how you wrote how you showed up
1: yeah and it was a fun way to kind of develop my my style you know for yeah. both my style of writing and for how i approached the writing um and, and i liked doing those short form things like the ads and lots of short stories because It was a way to learn and experiment with different styles without committing to a full book. So I felt like, okay, if I just learn to write books by writing books, I've got to commit to at least like eighty thousand words, and that's just one style and one voice that I can practice. Whereas, uh, you know, in the same span of time, I could write twenty short stories and a bunch of ads and experiment with a ton of different styles and uh, and have all of that kind of contribute to what I was building into what I felt like my writing voice was. so to me, I felt like it was a better use of my time to experiment with lots of little things before I decided to dive full in with the novel.
0: I I really love that because what I'm hearing are a few different things. One is there was an active listening happening so that you could, you were honing in on what your target reader or your, your target audience, your client was looking for to be able to give them the experience that they were interested in after they read your piece but you're also showing the curiosity the probing to see where can this take you where can this take you and that's also part of writing part of writing a scene or even if it's nonfiction, it's still part of well what else can i do to add more here how else can i provide a transformation so that curiosity is so important so those skills are transferable regardless of what type of writing you are doing i i've I
1: love that. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. That that holds, that has continued to hold through any type of writing that I've done, and I, I I do think curiosity is is a a big part of maintaining the enthusiasm for it because you you get this opportunity. And it's like, oh, what's it going to be like to write that, and how am I going to figure out you know that feel and that vibe, and um, so it, yeah, it's um. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sorry, I just lost everything else no, in my head. <laughs> that's
0: okay. That's okay, but I would love for you to talk a little bit more about so it was a two-year process you said to write the first book and then two years two more years to polish it. Would you talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. what that was like? Like what were some lessons you might have learned or some tips you might have for someone who else is going through that?
1: Yeah, so the next two years it was polishing and at the end of that next two years is when I I sold the book. Um So I learned a lesson at once I started querying, I learned the lesson that I think every novel writer has to learn at some point. I queried too early. So a lot of the book was ready, but there were chunks of the book that were very much not ready. Um, And you know, that goes to my, at the time, my inexperience and how much I had to learn my like my opening scene was something that if I had read that opening scene for someone I was beta reading for now, I would tell them, absolutely. That's not your opening scene. You can't, you can't start that way. Um, and I do feel like that, that resulted in, I definitely got some rejections because of that, but, um, so I was trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing wrong? Um, and then, uh, I got, I got some help. Uh, there was, a, uh, another writer out there, um, who's, uh, actually the founder of Pitch Wars. And, um, I ended up just kind of talking to her online and telling her, I, I, I I'm doing something wrong here with this and I'm trying to figure it out. And she was very gracious uh, and her name is Brenda Drake. And she said, "Uh, send it to me. Um, So I sent her the manuscript and she read it and immediately pinpointed. She actually pointed and said, okay, this chapter here that you have is like chapter four. That's your first chapter. And she was absolutely right. Um, So that was one of the things, craft things I had to learn. And, you know, one of the many polishing rounds that I did to the book. And that especially, I think is the change that sold the book. Um, Because it was a much better opening, Um, so yeah, it was a real. Those two years was were a real learning experience, both in what it takes after a book is done to actually get it ready for publication. Because it's so easy, even down the road for me now, about to publish my fourth book, it's still my inclination to say, "Okay, I finished this book. When when can it come out?" (laughs) But so, but you just you just learn. Okay, slow down. I now take at least at least two weeks between drafts, and I don't look at it at all., uh, so I can come back at it with a fresh mind. It's multiple polishing drafts. Um, and it's giving the story to beta readers you trust and doing it with zero ego and just basically saying, I was fortunate that, that part I was always good at. I never like it, nothing was ever precious to me in that sense where i always I always wanted to know what could be better well like for instance in this trilogy the timeshare trilogy i wrote there's a fairly intricate you know quote unquote magic system in it because of the time travel and so i would give it to people and say okay i want you to try to break my time travel system find the holes find what doesn't work um so i can plug them uh and and that was very valuable because uh you want to learn how to write a, a a tight story uh, right, time travel, <laughs> and uh, and it'll force you to to plug any leaks uh, in the story. Um, but then it also was those two years were a huge education about the publishing industry. That's where I learned lessons about you know how to query and what it's like with uh, agents and editors and just the whole book and publishing world. Uh, lessons that I, I still keep with me now. Um, so that's also something that I would say anyone who's a Uh, an aspiring author who's maybe just starting out, you cannot shortcut learning the industry either. You need to learn the industry um, because that's how you're going to learn to navigate it. And that's also how you're going to be able to manage your expectations to know that, okay, if I send out this query, it may be a year and I may take a hundred rejections before it goes anywhere. Um, So yeah, those two years were huge in helping me learn how to get a book publication ready uh, and how to sell it.
0: So would you share, for instance, um, are there some tips that you would recommend that go into a query that make it more attractive, if you will, or something to say, don't do that at all?
1: <laughs> well, um, the first one is one you, you wouldn't think you'd have to say, but you, but in talking to to agents, it still needs to be said, follow the guidelines to the letter for submitting. And that's that's, you know, every agency, and then usually every agent within that agency is going to have particular things that they want, follow everything. Is it hard work? And does it take forever? Oh, yes. (laughs) But this industry will test you in a 1000 different ways. And that's one of them. It's are you willing for, you know, 100 plus agents to do something different every time in order to get the book in front of them. Um, And still, a lot of them say that, like, a very large percentage of of queries that get tossed or rejected are just because the person didn't read their guidelines. Uh, so doing that is already gonna put you ahead of a huge chunk of the pack of the people that are, that are querying. Um, as far as like the actual content of the query, you know, it tends to shift. I think since I got my agent, some agents are wanting even, even different things now. Um, but I would say as far as how you're gonna talk about your book, I see a lot of people doing it because uh, I've, I've beta read a lot of query letters for people um, is that they're giving too much, too much information in the wrong way uh, and treating it like a mini synopsis when they should be treating it like a sizzle reel. Um, it should be meant to entice rather than inform. Um, and you want to inform to a certain extent, but only in the, in the service of enticing. Uh, so, <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So yeah you're not looking that's the synopsis is for giving the story you know the whole story that those couple little paragraphs right in the top of the query are for getting them to say "Ooh, I have to read more so think very hard on what you offer and whether it absolutely has to be there uh, in the uh, in those couple of paragraphs like just one thing for instance very common mistake I see is they'll try to cram the names of every char- ma- major character into that first paragraph. Uh, you know, like this is John, he's friends with Jane and Jane does this and his father, Bill. And you know, this uh, n- one name, you get one name in that first paragraph, <laughs> maybe two, if you're really good at it, but any, any more than that. And it just becomes noise. It just becomes static. So just remember it's, it's to entice, not inform.
0: I love that. I love that. And I love that you also were very specific when you asked your betas for feedback. Mm -hmm. I want you to give me feedback. I want you to do this and feedback on this. Because if you just say, hey, can you give me feedback on the book? Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) That's not specific (laughs) enough. And when you're working with the beta, especially because they're giving their time, they may not be getting compensated, except for the sheer fact of getting to read the book ahead of time and being potentially acknowledged in the acknowledgements, mm-hmm. that's, you know, the more specific you can be of this is what I'm looking for. Can you help here? If you're not paying a developmental editor or a story editor or what have you, a manuscript assessment, get, be specific to get that kind of help. I love that you said that.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and for lots of different things. And that's where it pays to make friends who write in different genres. Because um, I would give those books to, you know, someone who's like me, kind of a science nerd and, and say, okay, you know, look at the techno, technical aspects, find any holes. But then some of my best beta readers wrote like, like YA romance. Um, and I would give it to them and say, hey, um, let me know. Let's talk about like the interpersonal connections. Let me know if this, um, this female character that I wrote, if she feels like a real person, I don't want anyone to be a caricature because uh, the, the main characters in my, in my first trilogy, it was a twin boy and girl. So I wanted the, their interplay to, to be really good. Um, so yeah, being able to have, to find beta readers that can offer you different things also can help make a much stronger story.
0: Absolutely. I would love to switch uh, gears with you sure. and because you have also written a children's book. So switching genres and mm-hmm. specifically going from a novel even to children's book, what, tra- what was that like for that transition and would you talk about your book?
1: Yeah. So uh, this next one coming out, it's called This Last Adventure, and it is a middle grade. Uh, I would describe it as upper upper middle grade. So, you know, 10 to 13. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very much a, a genre switch for me. So it's middle grade contemporary with just the tiniest dash of fantasy. Um, the story follows a 13-year-old boy named Archie, whose grandfather is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so um Archie uses storytelling and shared fantasy worlds to try to preserve his grandfather's memories and save them from the disease um and yeah it it was a very big shift for me um because I always saw myself as more of a genre writer now an unusual genre writer because I even in my genre books I was very heavy on character interactions and dialogue and, and those kind of dynamics and and uh, and I loved writing that, but I also loved <laughs> writing really dramatic things and and you know villains and uh, you know kind of world-ending stakes and and uh, fight scenes and um, but I but I think I'm I'm best at the other stuff you know the uh, the quieter moments and the uh, the scenes just between characters and uh, in fact looking back it's kind of funny I I have said that my my favorite scene in um, in my entire sci-fi trilogy, it's in the middle book. And all it is, is two characters talking, but it's my favorite scene that I wrote in the whole series. Um, and uh, so it's it's kind of funny that, that that seems to inform how I've gone for this book. Um, so yeah, it was a real mental shift because when I sat down to actually develop the story, when I finally decided to do it, cause I fought it for a while, I thought, okay, how am I gonna translate my style to this? Because there's no villain. Uh, and I didn't want there to be a human villain because the disease was enough of a bad guy. Yeah. So there's no villain except the disease. So there's no one to have like those kind of dramatic confrontations with. There's nobody to punch. There's, you know, no mystery to solve. Um, so how am I going to write something like this so small? Um, and then I kind of came to, to the decision for, just for myself where I said, okay, I'm going to write this as if it's one of my larger than life genre books. Only I'm going to treat those huge dramatic moments. I'm instead of it being like a fight or or some huge twist or discovering something crazy, it's going to be personal development. It's going to be human interactions, and it's going to be you know emotional breakthroughs uh, and things. But I'm going to treat them with the same stakes and drama as I would something where they're saving the world. Uh, and that ended up being how I how I went at it. And uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed how it came out. And then, you know, because there are little, these little shared fantasy scenes, I was able to write a couple scenes of, of some action and some humor and and get some fun in there too. Um, but yeah, it was a real mental shift to th- when I finally decided to do this.
0: So going back to the idea of working with betas, then how did you work with your betas for this
1: book? It was very similar, actually. Um, it's just that there was, you know, there was a lot more interpersonal stuff. Um, so there were fewer nuts and bolts. Um, but I, I de- well, the one thing I did want to make sure of in that kind of nuts and bolts story, story way is to make sure that these kind of shared fantasy sequences that they had, that they that they felt like they belonged in the story, even though they were something different. So I wanted to make sure that the transition into those scenes and out of them worked, um, and then I wanted to make sure that um, they were immersive, you know, that that it wouldn't just, I didn't want it to feel like, okay, you're reading just about somebody talking about a, a fantasy world they're creating, I wanted it to be, to feel like everybody, the characters and the reader are living in the fantasy while they're in it, um, so that was a, a huge part of that, and uh, I got some great feedback, actually, um, from uh, my friend April and Pike, Who wrote the Wing series? If you're familiar with it, who was one of our early beta readers for this book, and she had invaluable feedback about the very first fantasy sequence, about how to handle it, so that it positively affected, like the reader's immersion in every other fantasy fantasy sequence. Um, So she had a lot of wisdom to share that I I really valued. Um, And then you know I had a few family members read it because I was borrowing. And taking some creative liberty with, but I was borrowing some things that actually happened in our family uh, in dealing with my grandfather while he was dealing with the disease. Uh, and for one, I wanted to make sure they were okay with it. Um, and then I also wanted to make sure that anyone who is reading this story who has gone through something like this could, in some way, understand or see themselves in it. Um, so even if it wasn't their, like the exact thing they experienced, because, you know, every, every, case is different, and every family is different. I wanted everybody to be able to read it and, and, and feel a familiarity there, and like the book could relate to them. So I, I took a lot of care with that as well.
0: I love that, because to me, when you're reading fiction, there's, you're, you can build a lot of empathy, and you mm-hmm. can build connection and an escape. But in this case, what you, I feel what was built was really more of the saying, the perspective of saying, you're, you're not alone somebody else understands and I, I get what you've gone through because there's elements of mourning there's elements of seeing good good spots that you appreciate and you you revel in because they in that moment it was good but then there's moments when it feels like okay how do we navigate and and I just think that that's beautiful that you created a space for people to see and not feel alone and put a smile on their face to say this is a really sweet way to go about it.
1: And, and that well, and that was part of my goal also was not to write something that was just depressing. That I that's yeah. that's never going to be part of like what I want to write. I um and so that's one of the reasons I resisted for for so long because I thought, how is a story like that gonna be anything but just a slog through depression and loss? Um and when I came up with the idea about the shared fantasies. And it dawned on me that, no, this isn't this isn't a story about just somebody in their family suffering through Alzheimer's. It's about a character choosing to cling to hope while he's going through all of this. Yeah. Uh, and that was where I was like, okay, that's the kind of thing that I could write. Because I never want to write something that's just depressing and then it ends. There had to be something more there. Um, and that was part of when I had people test rate it, what, w- one of the things I asked was, look, um, of course, there's going to be sad and tragic moments in this book, but I don't want it to feel like a sad tragedy of a book. So let me know, you know, you know, how how it feels when you're done with it. And so that was very valuable feedback as well.
0: That is cool. So I got another question for you about middle grade itself. How did you specifically leap into middle grade writing to make sure you were writing at just the right level Mm -hmm. for your, for your young reader?
1: Well, the reason, first of all, that that I went with middle grade for this, and I have since just really fallen in love with writing middle grade. um, When when I decided what the tone of the story was going to be, that I wanted, I needed it to be more hopeful. I thought there's no way I could write this as a YA and have anyone pay attention to it. Um, If it was a YA, it was going to have to be more dark. It was going to have to be a lot angstier, which I wasn't into. Um, And I thought, okay, in order to have the tone that I want and in order to have a main character who was willing to do something so crazy as, say, I'm going to create these shared role-playing fantasies to save my grandfather from Alzheimer's, there's no way it could be a high school kid that was doing that. So I needed to go with the kid who had a, a better capacity to imagine and to hang up all disbelief uh, and to just throw caution to the wind and do something hopeful and wild. Uh, and so... I thought, okay, it has to be a middle school kid who'd be willing to do this, uh, and that's why I went at it. Um, and middle grade is interesting because it's it's a wide range because you have the upper middle grade, which is what I tend to write, and then you have the you know the little kid middle grade, um, which is not my not really not my thing, but is also I mean you know it's just as much of a craft. It's just not where my voice goes. Um, but even so, actually, in subsequent drafts, um, I definitely will end up. Um, going back to revamp some of the dialogue, some of the kids' reactions and like how they' like what their reaction to certain thing is, how quickly they're able to realize things. Um, so my, my inclination usually in the first draft or two is to is to have them react and do things as if like like an older older teen was doing them. Um, and that's that's something that' I'll, I have to go back and say, okay, no, He's a little too young for this, so he should maybe take longer to figure out what's going on here, or he probably wouldn't put this that way because it's just beyond, beyond him at the moment. Um, again, that's been a great thing for, for beta readers uh, who would point out, you know, this seems kind of beyond a 13-year-old kid. Um, and so that perspective is great because it helps me to take all of those minor things and age them down to seem appropriate so that everything feels like it flows together.
0: I love that. And I love that you wrote something so, something that's so personal, but then found a way using creativity, using your curiosity and your natural writing skills. And you put them to use in a way that really is a a sweet story, is a sweet way to, to honor, honor your grandfather and then help other people in the process too. I think that that's just lovely.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm very excited to have people get through the initial reactions have so far been very encouraging. Uh, just people who really identified with it and said, hey, I I know kids that I want to give this to once it's out that I think will will benefit from it. And um, that's it's really gratifying.
0: That is awesome. Ryan, where can people connect with you and where can they get the books?
1: So uh, This Last Adventure uh, is available for pre-order pretty much everywhere now. Um, So if you have a favorite local indie store, that is preferable. I love supporting indie stores because they do, such a great job and work so hard at supporting authors. Um, If that's not an option, I know some places don't have those. Uh, If you've got a Barnes and Noble, you can pre-order there. Uh, You know, you can pre-order Amazon Uh, bookshop.org is great because you can order from there and uh, indie shops will get credit for the sale. Um, And, you know, if, if, you know, money's tight and you can't pre-order if you go to your local library and request it. uh, And then, you know, libraries are much more inclined to carry a book if they have patrons request that they carry it. So, um, and it is out, uh, February 1st. And
0: where can people connect with you?
1: Uh, I am I Ryan Dalton on Twitter, uh, just Ryan Dalton on Instagram, uh, or Ryan Dalton at gmail.com.
0: Great. Thank you so, so much, Ryan. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: I had a great time. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad you were here and know there were some valuable nuggets shared to keep going, keep writing, and keep sharing your work. I'm a big believer that if you have a book that's in your heart to write, then there's someone else out there who needs to read it. Your story needs to be shared, so you have to write it and get it out into the world. Until next time, keep swimming upstream while going with the flow and get your book into the world. To learn more about tough fish and jump into the pond, visit jennifermelius.com forward slash tough fish.